Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Liberty Diner Dish. I'm Ken. I'm Michelle. And we're about to jump right into another episode of Queer as Folk. We are. We are up to episode 407. So we are just over halfway done with season four. Say it ain't so. I know. I know. As we were watching this episode, I was already thinking this. And then when we ended it, you said, man, this was like a really heavy episode. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it, it was heavy. Like, I mean, it had some comedic breaks. But, I mean, for the most part, like, I mean, they was beating us over the I head, know, but too. it was so engaging, though, yeah. and so good. But it's like, I'm watching it, and even now, my mind is still trying to put together how to process some things. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not even sure, so. And they gave us everybody. Like, yeah. I mean, we got a little dose of every everyone today. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was just a really powerful episode. Yeah, it was. It was really good. And so, we're going to get into it, but. I'm probably going to be all over the place because, like I said, I'm still (laughs) thinking about it. Still trying to decide on some things. Right. Uh, So we start out with this really, like, weird-looking mask, blue mask thing. And it's got, like, a red spot. But then we see a crowd of guys dancing in a blue light. But then there's, like, some small little red lights. And uh, so it's it's really neat, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, seeing what all this is. Because you don't really know what's going on here. But we find out that Brian did listen to... Dr. Shane, and he went to see a doctor about a certain lump. And so where we're actually looking at is his ultrasound. But I do like how they did it. Uh, right. How they did that. Yeah. I mean, I hate to harp on the obvious, but there's a clear surface connection between these men. And then even the way that they're showing them, like, focusing on their nether regions and things like that. Like, even the way they're showing it, um, it makes it seem like their sexuality derives from this place. This place that on Brian is under attack. Anyway, I just like how, like how that was done. Uh, So, yeah, this is Brian's ultrasound, and the doctor is telling him that he thinks it's a seminoma, a form of testicular cancer, which is quite common in men Brian's age. And I'm not sure which hurts more to hear if you're Brian (laughs) Kinney, that you might have cancer or that you're now dealing with health issues because Because of of your your age. age. Yeah, Mm. It's Uh, like a double whammy for him right there. Yeah. God, um, this was a tough scene to watch for me. Yeah. Because you can obviously see Brian, you know, his wheels are turning. He doesn't know. He again. This, I feel like he's fourteen again. He's helpless. He's alone. He's mm-hmm. ha- he has no one. He really can't confide into anyone. I mean, then he wouldn't be Brian Kenny, you know? Right. Well, and he's always been this invincible character, yeah. this invincible guy, and so yeah. And then I'll just say it on the front end: like everything that Gail as an actor does with his face and his expressions, this episode says way more than his dialogue does. Exactly. And so I'm, instead of me pointing it out every single time it happens, I'm just going to say it right here Yeah, no, because, I mean, he does a lot of nonverbal acting that's, yeah. I mean, that just says a million words. Yeah, and um, it's perfect for this type of episode where mm-hmm. he is internally processing so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very deep, very, mm-hmm. very hard episode. I mean, hard scene to watch, um, to hear his body is turned on him and he feels helpless. He doesn't know what to do. Right. He's just stuck at the moment. Yeah. Well, Dr. Hong is the doctor, and he says uh, they can't really be sure without doing a biopsy. And Brian doesn't like the sound of that because they would need to remove it to get a closer look, which is what Brian was afraid he would say. And Brian says, well, if it's not cancer, what do you put it back in? Which is a silly question, but that's important to Brian. To be honest, I didn't even know, like, biopsy, I I know they take, you know, a piece and and they examine it, but I didn't know they have to take the whole ball out. Like, I mean, they couldn't. Oh, I mean, damn, you can't just slice it open and just cut a little piece of it and close it back <laughs> up. Like, I mean, it does not work that way. Oh, my or, God. Or the procedure he needs does not work that way. Um, and that's what he tells him. Like, that's not how it works. And 
But he says it's a relatively simple procedure. And it's and most importantly, he tells him neither his sexual performance nor his fertility would be affected. So it's really just like, hey, we got to we got to get in there. We got to look at it. But after we do that, you're going to be if if everything goes well, you'll be you'll be fine. It's a hard hit to a man, though, to, to yeah. know that they're going to remove one of them, mm-hmm. you know, like. Your cojones is what makes you. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, Brian like, is not thrilled about being no. a, a one ball wonder, is <laughs> yeah. what he says. And the doctor says, well, they will give him a prosthetic replacement, and he has a box of options for Brian to check out. And Brian looks at them and he says, well, first he doesn't really want to. <laughs> right. And he says, sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. <laughs> because I think this is just all so much. And then for it to be this specific type of cancer, like for Brian Kenny, this is a very, very, very big deal. So the doctor says, they will look and feel completely natural. Well, this just the one. He said, we'll try to match the original as close as possible. So it's like, you won't even notice after yeah, a while. No okay. one else will notice after yeah. a while. You might have a little scar, but, you know, nobody will even really know. Uh, well, Brian wants to know what are his chances. And I guess that's survival and recovery, um, returning to full functionality, all of that. And the doctor says, with surgery and any necessary follow-up procedures, 99%, uh, which is like the best thing possible to hear in this situation, Ever. right? Yeah. Well, then Brian asks, what about without surgery? And that question really goes without. Yeah. Uh, He tells him without surgery, if it is cancer, it will spread through his body, invade other vital organs. And then and with certainty here, uh, he will he will die. And I love watching watching Brian's face as he's processing all of that. And when the doctor answers the question with surgery and follow up is 99 percent, you see it kind of click into place before he asks the next question It's basically Mm -hmm. like I do this or. Or I die, right, you know, kind of kind of thing. But which is that's easy to understand. But this all means something different for him. Well, the doctor just tells him to call with any questions and he advises him not to put off the decision. For a rational person, uh, if you have to be in a meeting with an oncologist because those are the cards that life has dealt you. This is like best case scenario situation. Absolutely. Though. It's it like, is. hey, we're going to remove this. We're going to look at it. Even if there is something there, we're going to do some follow up treatment. 99% chance you'll be, you'll be all yeah, good. Like you're going to be back to normal. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it's not going to affect your sexual performance. It's not going to affect your fertility. If that's something that's important to you, again, for a person who's looking at this rationally, that should be, that should all be really comforting to hear. But we're it, dealing with Brian Kenny. Right. <laughs> yeah. And cancer is very scary to just about anyone. I mean, Brian's dad died from, yeah. from cancer. Uncle Vic has just died. So yeah. death is like around him. And all of this is, happening in his world in his mind and even after hearing this very hopeful prognosis this still sounds like the worst news ever to him right and i think this kind of goes back to what i was kind of fumbling my way through in the last episode uh but i was kind of a jumbled mess of emotions because we had lost uncle vic at that point but to brian his most precious asset and the most valuable part of him has always been his body specifically what he can do with yes his, with absolutely his body. and that is what's under attack which is what you were saying earlier and it's not just like a broken arm or something. This is what he considers to be the center of himself. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of what he he's known for. He's he's built this persona around his sexual abilities. Right. Him being sexy, him being flawless. Mm-hmm. And now he's flawed. And right. I think he just can't wrap his mind around mm-hmm. like something is going on. I, he's always gonna he's gonna think, although the doctor said I'm gonna be back to normal, I would never be the same. Right. I would never be one hundred percent. I would never be truly the full Brian Kenny. Now I'm altered, you know. Right. And even if Another person can't feel and tell the difference. He knows, he knows the mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what matters most to him because he really doesn't really, I don't think he, 
I mean, he does care what people say, but we also know Brian doesn't really give a damn what other people say. It's all about how he's feeling, what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. And I think him knowing that he has to go through this, Mm -hmm. he knows it's going to be a long journey, you know? And then he also has to explain this to his friends, people he care about. He doesn't really let people in Mm -hmm. to, you know, that deep side of him. So to be able to be vulnerable, let those guards down, let people in. Tell him that he's he's not looking for sympathy. Right. That's not him. So it's a lot to process yeah. for him. And it's either I forfeit my what he perceives to be perfection. I forfeit my perfection or I die. Right. Like, and yeah. And for some people, that's like a no brainer. Yeah. But not if for you're him, Brian Kenny. He'll think like, well, maybe I'll just go out with a bang. I live every yeah. day to the fullest. I don't have to worry about radiation and, med- and medicines and things like that. If I don't focus on it, my body be healthy. Because I think I told you a couple um, months ago. I know it sounds very silly. If I would rather not know if I was sick because I feel like when they when someone finally tells you that you're sick, then that's when you start to think about it and your body goes down because yeah. you hear stories about oh they had they they went to the doctor the doctor gave them six months to live well if you didn't go to the doctor you would have still been fine you know your mind would have but well your mind would have known yeah that you're exactly wrong. yeah but now I mean it's silly I, I want to know yeah, <laughs> yeah. I want to know and I want to know early and I want to be able to fix it but you almost like my dad he was he's like. Yeah, well, no, because I'm not going to go to the doctor because then they're going to tell me I'm sick and I'm going to be sick. I'm like, it doesn't work like that, Dad. <laughs> like, they don't just, like, yes. put some curse on you. I'm telling you, maybe it's a man there. thing, girl. Maybe it's a man thing. I don't know. Yeah, well, he swears. That's what they do. Yeah. Like, he's like, I was totally healthy and I went to the doctor and he mentioned this word and now I have it. <laughs> For real. I'm right there with your dad. Come on, yeah. mister. Well, then we see Ted and Blake and they are attending an AA meeting and there's a lady there. I think in the script, her name is Doris. And she's sharing about one year of sobriety and how that one year of clarity has meant more than 40 years of pain and confusion for her. She thanks Blake for being her sponsor. She praises him for his integrity and for believing in her. And um, Ted is looking at Blake like he can vouch for every platitude being thrown at him. I mean, But Blake does seem a little uncomfortable with that praise. Yeah, well, I mean, Blake, Blake, well, I mean, for one, he doesn't want the praise because he wants y'all to have the praise. He wants you to take ownership he wants y'all to have that like you put in the work it's for, for you like i was there just to help you along your journey i need you to claim this but also the hell the way ted is looking at him you know like uh give ted one piece of ass and he hooked girl like <laughs> yeah, i mean it don't take much don't take to much at all no yeah. he sprung okay like oh ted get it together <laughs> like not again like you're so codependent yeah Always so i mean yes you need some codependency in this moment now i get it but you need some support. Yeah, some support. Yeah, yeah. but not any unhealthy Yeah, like, yeah. boy, get your life. For real, for real. Like, Yeah, ugh. yeah. Uh, well, over at Debbie's, uh, Emmett, Ben, Hunter, and Michael are waiting on her because the day of the funeral has arrived. And they're getting ready to head out, but they're cutting it close on time. And Michael's like, hey, if, if she doesn't hurry, then we're going to be late. Uh, but Hunter doesn't think Uncle Vic would care. Um, he's in a bit of a, a mood, and we'll we'll kind of deal with that as we go. Because what he says is true, but that's not okay to say out loud. No, yeah. Like, you can think the shit, but, I mean, this yeah. is the time people are grieving and mourning. Right. Like, come on now. Well, Emmett is kind of worried about because he's living with her, of course. And he's kind of worried because he says he heard her up all night, pacing back and forth, heard her down in the kitchen. And he's not sure if she's up for the funeral. And Michael's going to go check on her. Well, she comes down and she looks beautiful. Gorgeous. She calm, looks amazing. She dignified. and But it's not really what I expected to see. I was kind of thinking she'd be holed up in her room crying yeah. and not want to come down. I thought she was going to come down looking a wreck, but yeah. she came down I was dressed really to the nines. kind of expecting like sackcloth and ashes, yeah, no, to be honest. For real, for real. Girl, but yeah, she 
Somewhat look like she's keeping it together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and they are kind of sh- like, whoa. Uh, maybe at the graveside service, the minister allows time for anyone who would like to offer a personal remembrance for Victor Antonio Grassi. And Michael steps forward to speak, and he gives a very heartfelt speech. And he says that Uncle Vic was the first person he told he was gay. Michael says that um, he always faced adversity with a smile and a cynical remark, which is what we know to be true <laughs> yes. of Uncle Vic. And he says, I'm sure if he saw us all here today, he would say, what are you wasting your time on a dead man for? Go get laid. Yes. And, and facts. Yeah. Vic would say that. Yeah. And as the camera goes around, we see all of the gang in various expressions of solemnness or sadness. And I think about how death in general, but specifically Uncle Vic's death, might be affecting each one of them. And, um, you know, Brian is kind of an interesting one because they keep showing him standing there because even though he said his piece about Vic's passing, as far as we know, there's still some unresolved tension between him and Debbie. Correct. And then now he's got his own stuff yeah. uh, that he's having to deal with, a reminder of his own mortality. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we see Debbie, and she looks fairly stoic. Emmett compliments his signature recipe yes. when he's sharing some words. Melanie says he could rock a Hawaiian <laughs> shirt, almost. <laughs> yeah, when she said that, almost, I yeah. died. For real, though, because you know, Hawaiian shirts are comfy, but I don't think anybody looks good in Hawaiian <laughs> shirts. Okay. I had a professor in my Shakespeare class uh, in college, and he, if you wore a Hawaiian shirt on uh, an exam day, you got an extra 10 points. So, uh, so I was rocking me some yes, Hawaiian shirts. Girl, <laughs> yeah, That was so funny. I, I love this scene here. Um, I know you're going to go back around and do everybody's, but um, I love that they... They all were honest, you yeah. know, and they was true to Vic. Mm-hmm. And and then you could see how Vic had some impact on each of their lives, yeah. you know, and in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Vic was always uplifting, I felt like. He was always cool, calm, collected, sweet, yeah. always had good words of encouragement when you were down. Mm-hmm. He always went the extra mile to try to bring you back back home, you know, and yeah. stay grounded. So the fact that they were there showing up for him and they were giving some genuine love, I mean, it really touched my I was about to, Low-key, I damn near yeah, cried in the I funeral. Spent most of this episode, my eyes were burning. Yeah, like, like, yeah. I'm not even bullshitting you. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I looked at you and was like, yo, low-key, I'm about to cry. Like, it mm-hmm. felt so real. Did that yeah, not feel real? it did. It did. Um, there's a friend in attendance there, and he says that Vic once did coke with Liza at Studio 54. <laughs> and of course he did. This is Uncle Vic. Yeah. <laughs> and then Justin says he was gay before it was fashionable, which I think <laughs> is an even bigger statement now than it would have been in the early 2000s. Right. And Rodney says, like, he never heard him complain. He lived in gratitude. And, I, yeah, it's just a beautiful memorial to mm-hmm. Uncle Vic and what each of them got from him, you know, the impact that he had in, in their lives or however long he was present in their right. lives. You know, I can't really decide what I would have had in mind for a send-off service for him, but I kind of like this understated thing because I don't think he would have wanted— He didn't want anything grand? Yeah. Like, this mm-mm. was perfect. And I was also—when we were watching, I was like— where are all the friends? But I was thinking, no, this is perfect. This is family. Yeah. You know, he has everyone that's connected that he saw on the daily, mm-hmm. that he interacted with on the daily, who truly knew him, truly cared for him. They were there. They showed up. And so, you imagine he probably lost a lot of friends. Correct. Because of the time that he was living in. Mm-hmm. But then also he was just now getting to rebuild his, his own little community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think this was very, very fitting for him. And I, I think the point of the memories and words that are spoken is just to give honor to the fact that that he lived and that these people were witnesses to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the main point to come get across. And I, I feel like they did that well. Um, well. Surprisingly quiet during all of this is Debbie. Michael prompts her to speak and she whispers, I think your uncle has heard more than enough of what I had to say. 
And she's still carrying that that, that guilt. guilt that and I feel like that's holding her back from being able to grieve. Mm-hmm. Almost like she feels she isn't allowed to or doesn't deserve to. Yeah, it made me sad when she said that. Yeah. I was like, girl, no, he want to hear your voice. He want, This is your time to say your piece. Like, you didn't get a chance to say that you were sorry. Mm-hmm. Now you can say it. Send him off in the right way, you know. But she just, she can't let it go because she's blaming herself. Well, as they are leaving, Michael is walking with Debbie. And there's something, that, a comment that you made while we were watching that I'll come back to. Uh, but Michael is walking with Debbie, and he asks if she's holding up okay. And she's like, why wouldn't I be? Don't look like I'm, don't look like I'm falling apart. <laughs> and she's focused on getting back to the house to finish getting everything ready for for visitors. But I think Michael is still just kind of waiting for her to have that the breakdown. That breakdown, yeah. Uh, Rodney and Emmett are walking together, and Rodney says they haven't even finished unpacking. Like Vic didn't see a need for a hurry. And Emmett says, I guess that's why they say we should appreciate every minute. Then Ted is following behind them, and he's walking by himself because, you know, yeah, <laughs> tensions and stuff. And uh, he's, But he's looking at Emmett, and I kind of wonder if there's some regret there, maybe over how it all went down and how it ended, regret about how things currently stand between the two of them and how that's kind of affecting the whole dynamic yeah. of, of the group. Well, life's too short, you know, and they, they went from being best friends to damn near enemies, you know? Right. So, I mean, yeah, seeing Vic, because who I'm still in, in shock. I'm in disbelief that this man is gone. Like, I know crazy so for them you know like they're all in shock as well like mm-hmm. no one expected Vic to go so it, like like Emma said you gotta be grateful for every minute on this earth because nothing is promised to you so yeah that's tricking these thought, triggering these thoughts for them like well maybe I could have done something better maybe I should make try make amends you know a little more or be more understanding I mean it, all those thoughts go through your head yeah next are Melanie and Lindsay and Melanie says it's been so long since anyone they know has died and Lindsay says it's because They've been lulled into complacency because of all the new drugs. And that is not the lead in I want for the next pairing coming up, which is Ben and Hunter. And Ben checks to see if he's okay. And Hunter says, unconvincingly to me, he's like, yeah, sure. Um, Then we see Brian, Jennifer, and Justin. And Brian says, "Um, all I'm saying is it's better to go out when you're young in a blaze of glory than end up a diseased old queen. And Justin says that you might feel differently if, if it were you. Kind of, you might choose to keep living, even even if doing so is not going to be easy. You might still choose life. Um, in that. and I'm glad he said that, mm-hmm. not even knowing what what Brian is going through. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, Jennifer says at least he didn't get sick and linger, which is what Brian had said the episode right. before and got smacked for. Which, uh, yeah. So Jennifer better keep that comment on the DL. <laughs> we keep Debbie that between gonna, the three of them. <laughs> young Deborah gonna get on her, okay? Yeah. To Jennifer's comment, Brian says, and it's in such poor taste. I say buy a one-way ticket to Ibiza, party till you drop, and then discreetly disappear. And everything Brian says here can sound insensitive and morbid, but we know what's going on with him. And and that's kind of how he thinks. I mean, he's been saying similar things since season one, but I really just don't like the sound of what he's... Mm. No, it's just it sounds like a dark road. Yeah. You know, a really dark and lonely road. Uh-huh. And... um. We've we made so much progress with Brian. You know, yeah. I don't want to see him go back down a, a dark, terrible road because the road that he was on when Justin was hurt, that was terrible. Like, I want him to come out come out of that. Like, right. I was worried for him every moment. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to see him go through this again. Yeah, Especially I know. when he can have it. He can, he can do something about it. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, because the doctor told Brian what would happen if he didn't go through with a biopsy right. and surgery or what would happen if he did. Uh, and if he doesn't, the cancer or that disease would spread and he would die mm-hmm. and he would die as a diseased old queen yeah. is what would happen if he didn't do it. And, um, you know, that's been one of his biggest fears since we met him. He doesn't want to be 
old and physically undesirable because to him that equals unlovable and yep. unworthy. Mm-hmm. So if given the two choices to die young in a blaze of glory or to des- to die a diseased old queen, it sounds like Brian kind of sees more value in option one. Yes. Yeah. Okay, but back up a little bit. You made a comment while we were watching this scene, and you said, oh, I love how they have them paired off, like uh, uh-huh. the little groupings. And then we got to the last one, and that was your favorite one. Yeah, the last group um, was Brian, Jennifer, and Justin. Just to see, <laughs> that's a little family now. They have they had a rocky start, and to see them come this far together, yeah. mm-hmm. like just seeing Jennifer. And they are a little the sub-family. They are. They're a sub-family. So, I mean, like, it was, like, so touching to the heart. Yeah. Um, and then I do like how they were all kind of paired up. I like how they put Ben and, um, and Hunter together. They're going through a similar situation. They can yeah. understand each other. Um, they can, you know, feel kind of feel what Vic was going through. Uh, I can see why Hunter is acting the way he's acting because, I mean, now he's, he's scared to see someone pass from HIV complications, you know. Mm-hmm. And then now he's just now... Going into this this new world, stepping into this new world, I mean, it's, it has to be frightening. And then Ben is always telling him, you got to eat right. You got to do this. You got to stay. It's a lot of pressure. Right. You know, it like is. it's hard enough being a teenager, let alone a positive teenager, mm-hmm. you know. So I can see why he's upset, scared, frustrated. And when you're young, you lash out. And then to see Ted by himself, kind of where he needs to be at the moment, I feel like. Yeah. Like, I mean, you need a support system around you, but don't focus on relationships and things like that. I can Just the way he was looking at Blake in that first on that first scene, it was just like, no, okay, yeah. that's that's gonna affect your recovery. We need right. you to stay focused. We need you to know? be able to stand. Yeah, on, on your, your own. Yeah, like not, they are all around him, and he's yes. still very much a part of their group. But it's just like, yeah, you can't be depending on other people for things that you need to find within yourself. Exactly. Kind of thing. I need you to be strong on your own. Yeah. And then if you need someone uh, extra, you know, shoulders that you need to lean on, then I am here for you. But I need to know that your feet are planted right. strong. And then to see. Um, who was with Michael? Uh, he was oh. with Debbie, and then okay, Rodney, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh-huh. um, Rodney and Emmett were together. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I just, I loved it. And I love that Michael, Michael is really caring for his mom. Like, mm-hmm. although she's she's not needing it, it seems, you know, yeah. at the moment, but I love that he's going the extra mile. Like, he knows his mom. Mm-hmm. He knows deep down inside, like, girl, you're hurting. Like, I'm here for you. He, like, followed her around the house. Like, when she came down the stairs, yeah. he did a whole 360, like, following her turns. Like, he just, he's worried. So, to see those interactions. I don't know, it was just a good pairing of the groups. Yeah, I liked it too. Oh, back over at Debbie, she is the consummate host there, and she's serving wine, checking on everyone, trying to clean the kitchen. You know, the ladies are in there, Jennifer, Melanie, and Lindsay, but they're already on it. They've got the desserts wrapped up, the Family. cold cuts wrapped up. Yeah. Well, she's like, y'all go sit down. I'll take care of it all. But I think they can see that she's not taking care of herself, and they're a little mm-hmm. bit concerned about that. And, but they're not going to be forceful. And they're like, hey, there are some new classes down at the center. Maybe you should take some of those. You know, we hear that it's good to... Do something creative when you're trying to process your grief. And Jennifer's like, yeah, doesn't that sound like a good idea? Right, <laughs> so yeah. All of them are trying to find ways to support her. And Debbie says, well, I'm Italian. And what she finds highly effective is food and vino. And I don't necessarily disagree. Yeah, I'm going to say, because Lord knows I will eat myself out of depression, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, won't, I won't drink as much, but I will definitely I will eat myself out yeah, of Yeah, same. Uh, Rodney is trying to get her attention because she's kind of everywhere. And, like, not really stopping to, she's just serving everybody. Right. Yeah, it's almost like she's at the diner. Uh, and, but Rodney's trying to get her attention, and he has a box for her. It's some family photos, some of Vic's jewelry, and a letter that he wrote for Debbie. And I kind of wonder if Debbie is ashamed in front of all of them, and that's part of the reason she's working so hard to be okay and take care of everybody, because they're not stupid. They all know 
what was going on they with her and Uncle up. Vic. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if she's if that's another reason why she's trying w- to keep yeah. it all together. I, I would say I agree with you on that. I think, yeah, she's embarrassed for the way that she acted and carried herself. And then, you know, shortly after that, I mean, he was gone. So, I mean, yeah, I think she, it is a little bit of embarrassment yeah. um, wrapped in that as well. And I kind of even wonder, like, she might even be avoiding, like, intentionally avoiding Rodney because he had been trying to get her attention, yeah. avoiding him. But then she, like, forces food on him. That's her method of penance because mm-hmm. she's already said, like, I'm Italian. I deal in food and mm-hmm. wine. And so she's like, here, take this food. <laughs> you know, and she was forcing the drinks down everybody's throats, yeah. too. Yeah. So, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think all of that is her attempt at atonement or, or part of her attempt at atonement. That's, it's a small thing, but I'm always thinking about their motives based on their characterizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Rodney leaves, Debbie sneaks off with her letter, and Michael finds her trying to convince her to let Melanie, Lindsay, and Jennifer help. <laughs> and he sees her with the letter, and she tells him that it's from Vic. He wrote it years ago when he was sick and when they thought he was going to die. And um, me and Michael want to know what the letter says. Girl, you know I want and to know. And he asks her, and she says, it says we're going to have a party. And she declares that it will be so. Um, yeah. At first, I'm thinking, okay, this is good. This is what Michael was saying at the graveside. Like, he would want us to keep living. He'd want us to celebrate. Based on what they were saying, that's exactly what Vic did. That's exactly how he would approach a mm-hmm. situation like this. At first, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is, this is good. Uh, over at Ted's condo, I wonder, do you think he went to Debbie's for a bit? Ted? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he stopped over for a bit, yeah. but it probably felt uncomfortable. Right. Everybody's probably locked up in their groups. He yeah. was sitting there by himself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was like, I'm just going to go ahead and head out. Yeah. Yeah. Because like we were saying earlier, he's still definitely a part of the group, but but it's just the dynamics are a little bit different right now. Mm-hmm. I think he was going to let Emmett have that support because he knew that he had Blake at home. So he's going <laughs> to let Emmett have their support. And I'm sure it's kind of awkward for everybody when Ted and Emmett are there together exactly he didn't bring blake to the funeral what do you think about that i'm glad he didn't bring that wouldn't have been the right time yeah that would have been a a little disrespectful to emmett in that moment not it would have been not disrespectful but not thoughtful of his feelings and his emotions to bring him in that time you know blake don't know doesn't know uncle vic like that so i don't think he should be he now he helped get the money remember they needed money that night to for uncle vic's bail or whatever when he got arrested and ted was i'm sorry blake was the one who came through and gave him got the money now he didn't meet uncle vic of course right right but um yeah no i don't even think blake would want to be there he wouldn't want to be a distraction yeah exactly he would have been like Mm -hmm. i'm a distraction you know this is for the family you guys are grieving i don't want to cause the you know any other pains or you know whatever the case yeah so yeah i'm glad he didn't come and i'm glad that i'm pretty sure blake told him that ted probably was like no you're coming yeah i can hear ted no you're coming i need you there yeah i'm like nah yeah no no i'm not doing it back yeah so ted is home and blake is there with bags like grocery bags you know they always joke about the lesbians hauling and moving in after one day but yeah i don't know that blake has moved in but he's looking real at home girl he comes after like two days yeah grocery bags all in the cabinets i mean just posted up in the kitchen like yeah come on like i would be like can i sit down yeah, like, I mean, you just like, bruh. <laughs> I can see maybe he brought his meal. Like, hey, I brought us both some yeah. to go. But this is like grocery shopping. Groceries. Yeah. I, doing the most. Yeah. Way too quick. Uh, Ted tells him that Debbie buried Vic in a shirt that had hula dancers and palm trees. And I love that for him. That way he'll still have something to wear when he goes out dancing. Oh. But Blake adds. Uh, but Ted is so happy to have Blake there for him and with him and he says it's amazing how caring Blake is, and just like everyone said at the meeting. The- Girl, give him some Sprite and quench that thirst, because I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. Well, Blake seems a little off. Like, he is just like, 
He's not. You can just everything about it. If you're reading the body language, he's like, ooh, you know. No, he doesn't even want to make eye contact when he's saying that. Yeah. And you can tell his body kind of tenses up a little bit. Yeah. "Mm -mm." Ted says during the funeral, he kept thinking about how that could have been him. And it definitely could have been. He says that, you know, they all could have been there for his funeral. And uh, he said while he was thinking about that, he was also thinking some uh, thoughts about Blake that are kind of inappropriate to contemplate (laughs) during a funeral. But. But, you know, when faced with death, you need affirmation of life. And so that's something that happens. Plus, death is often a reminder of how sacred life is and how precious every moment is and the people who are part of your life. So I get why he went in this direction. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Blake is trying to curtail him, but Ted's not making it that easy. Nah, Blake was trying to definitely curve his ass. He said, I think we should eat before the food gets cold. I died. Okay. (laughs) Like, Blake is not having it. Okay. Any little distraction. I'm surprised he didn't let the phone do the fake phone call. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> but you know, like I need, I need somebody. A knock on the door. Somebody. Yeah. Uh, well, we see Michael and Ben, and they're finally headed home after what was, I'm sure, a long and emotional day. Uh, Michael is very surprised at how well Debbie has handled everything. I think he's he finds it a little strange because he doesn't think that she. He's like, I don't know what's going on with it. Just, it's, it's just strange. strange. It is strange. Okay. Like we know Debbie. Debbie's yes. over the top about anything. Anything. I mean, so, it's strange. Yeah. Ben thinks she could still be in shock, but he uh, says like, there's no right or wrong way to behave. Right, Keep an eye be. on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, They smell something out in the hallway, and it seems to be coming from inside their apartment. And they get inside, and Hunter is chilling on the couch having a toke. He found Michael's emergency stash there. For one, don't be snooping <laughs> through my shit, okay? Two, you ain't paying that one bill in here. Get your nasty-ass feet up off my couch smoking my weed. Yeah. Okay, like, I'm going to need you to, to chill out, okay? <laughs> I know you may be going through something, but you're just... I, that's why I be going back and forth between this boy. Yeah. Like, I mean, one moment I love, like, oh my God, Hunter is doing so well. I love him. And then he'll do something like this. And I'm like, where's the switch? Yeah. Get well, the switch. He is still fresh into this kind of normal, but he still knows better. Thank you. But yeah. I was like, you better not, you better not defend because, like, you know better. You up here <laughs> blowing a joint up on the couch. Right. When you've never you seen him do that. You could have been sitting out on the porch on the at porch. least, like, you know. Bro, you lived on the streets. You, you know how to hustle. You know how to maneuver and live. Like, stop playing with me. You did that on purpose to act out. Yeah. Like, stop it. Yeah, that's a, that's a cry for help if I've ever seen one. Uh, Hunter says he'd rather be there than at, because Michael's like, what, you, you wanted to come home and do this instead of go to mom's with me. He's like, yeah, I'd rather be here than at Debbie's hearing stories about an old dead guy see uh ben so then hunter goes off to his room because he's a teenager with attitude and uh ben reminds michael that they are fostering a minor and they could lose hunter if someone found out that they had weed in the house and michael says he forgot he had it brian gave it to him in case of an emergency now other friends might give you like a flashlight some non-perishable <laughs> goods you know some pantry items not brian he's like nope here's no. a joint here's a joint <laughs> and here's some poppers yeah. call it a day yeah if that can't get you through it, then ain't baby, no hope. No, no hope, baby. <laughs> yeah. No hope. Yeah. Well, Michael lights it and take over, takes over where Hunter had left off. He says, like, this is an emergency. That part. Okay. I'm um, in a crisis. Yeah. Ben says, we can't tell him not to use drugs if we do it ourselves. And Michael's response is the really the truest thing ever. He says, of course we can. That's what parenting is all about. I'm not a parent, but I have parents and facts. I'm t- my mom would always... <laughs> Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> well, I'm grown. Yeah, I can yeah. do this because I'm, yeah, grown. I'm grown. When you get grown, you start paying some bills. Right. You know what I'm then you can do what you want to do. <laughs> you make me sick. Well, go to the doctor then. Mama, if you don't get out of my face. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Hunter is acting out a bit, but I'm sure we all have the same suspicions as to why. So right, we'll deal right, with those right. later. 
Over at the loft, Brian and Justin are enjoying a floor picnic because it may have taken some time. He finally a break got up it. and reunion. But yeah, Justin Taylor's going to get what Justin Taylor wants. He finally okay? got it, okay? Especially from Brian Kenny. Yeah, he wanted that floor picnic and yes, he got it. Because he didn't get a season two, okay? Yeah. God, yeah. he didn't get it. But yeah, we got it two seasons later. Yeah, so they are sharing some Chinese takeout, and it's really comfortable and lived in. Such a cute scene. I love this mm-hmm. this scene. And uh, he's feeding Brian the last shrimp. You know, you don't give your last shrimp to just anybody. Nah, you really don't. Cause, I mean, that's some true love, because I told yeah. you I'm fighting you over the last piece. Uh, the last shrimp, yeah. for sure, yeah. Uh, so they finish their food, and it's fortune cookie time. Brian opens his, and it says, a surprise awaits you. And he's probably thinking, yeah, well, that cat's already out of the bag. <laughs> Um, and then Justin opens his, and he ha- his is quite detailed. The man you love will slowly, sensually peel his clothes off for you, exposing every inch of his perfect body. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a very long fortune. <laughs> it is a very long fortune. And then he's, there's more. Justin <laughs> really wants it, okay? I want that fortune that you have, Justin, okay? It was a really long one. But he just, the fortune playing at a whole sex scene for yeah. them. And, um... Yeah, and then, but you have to always end every fortune with in bed. That's right, yeah. In bed. Brian but you reminds know, him of that, yeah. Exactly, but Justin had other plans. He was thinking more like on the floor, baby. Yeah, and uh, Brian's cool with that. Um, And so they start moving in that direction, but then Brian suddenly stops him, and he tells Justin that his hands are cold, and Justin kind of laughs, like, okay, well, I'll warm him up. That could be a callback to the pilot. In my mind, that's something they always reference, and they will always, like, smile and blush anytime it comes up. And then Brian gives the fakest yawn, and he says, oh, I'm kind of tired, and gives Justin a quick kiss and then heads off to bed. And I'm sure Justin is thinking, well, that de-escalated quickly. Right, real quick. Um, it has to be abnormal for him because that we, we know them to have such strong sexual chemistry. Right. And they were in such a good vibe, like right? right. from the feeding of the last shrimp, the, the fortune cookies, the sensual touching in that moment there, because right. they were kissing then, and mm-hmm. then lay down to the floor. For it to start and then stop abruptly. So, I mean, it got to be confusing. Yeah. Um, A few things here. Like, first, I kind of like that they were so settled in this moment. After everything that's been going on, they had this moment of peace to the two of them. And Brian was able to kind of forget about what What was was going on. Mm -hmm. And so it took him a long minute to remember, like, oh, yeah, I can't let him let him touch me there. Right. (laughs) Uh, I wonder how Justin never felt. Well, yeah, we talked about that. And I think it was probably the case that we're... Maybe you had to, like, really know what you mm-hmm. were feeling for. Yeah, to, to discover it. Well, another thing we know clearly is that Brian has not told Justin, which I'm not surprised by that because that's kind of on brand yeah, for, it's, for it's Brian. Yeah, it's definitely on yeah. brand. He's, he's, yeah, it yeah, makes total sense. I feel sense. something kind of between sad and disappointed about that, but I totally get that Brian's going to process this on his own. Like, this is going to be his decision, and he wouldn't burden Justin with that. And plus, he already knows what Justin would say. It's what Justin said at the funeral. Mm-hmm. You would still choose to live, even if it was going to, you should still choose to live, even if it's going to be difficult. And Brian makes his decisions on his own accord, like on right. his own choices, his own time. He doesn't, he don't need anyone feeding him what he should be doing. Yeah. Um, but I love that Justin immediately sees, okay, something's going on here. I'm not going to badger him about it, but I'm going to put the, I'm going to write this down in my little notebook. Yeah. And then I have to add up a couple other things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll come back to this one. The floor picnic scene is so precious. I just want to wrap it in glitter paper and keep it in my purse at all times. Like, it is such a sweet and sensual seduction. And I love how Justin pushes Brian back. And he so willingly follows Justin's lead. He leaves his pleasure in Justin's hands. And 
Brian is usually always in control of that, but this points to the trust between them. And I saw a comment that Justin never initiates anything between them. And I'm like, may I present to you exhibit A? (laughs) And this is all before we get to the the whole foursome scene. So over at Debbie's, it is Christmas. And uh, Emmett says when he went to bed, it was February. Now, side note here, in the queerest folk world, pregnancies can apparently last for like 73 weeks. Because yep. if my math is correct, Melanie is like 44 weeks pregnant. That right part. Now. Okay. Like, <laughs> she having an elephant. She, <laughs> like, yeah. Baby, you pop that baby on now. Yeah. And then uh, how she can go from flat stomach to big stomach. I know. And, I mean, like, girl. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm going to just keep it cute and not question these timelines at all because I honestly really don't care about timelines <laughs> in this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, So back to the scene, Debbie is blasting joy to the world, and uh, it's like Christmas has vomited all over her living room. All over. Emmett says that he only took one Xanax, but he's certain he didn't sleep that long. (laughs) (laughs) Rip. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Now, Debbie stops him before he can call someone to cart her away to a psych hospital, and she tells him about Vic's letter. He wrote it right before Christmas, some years back, when the doctors were saying it didn't look like he was going to make it. And he made her promise that even if he wasn't there, they'd still have the most beautiful holiday ever. But he was there for yeah, all the he, holidays. Yeah, and here's what he tells like He was for not just that one, but for many more <laughs> after that. And Debbie says it doesn't matter what be- better way to pay tribute than by having one last celebration. And Emmett tries again. Well, aren't you a little late? And Debbie says it doesn't matter when somebody you love writes you a letter asking you to do something. You have no choice to do it. I thought now, she was going to get on his head when well, he said that. Well, because Emmett's got a little letter from someone he loves, and that's asking him to do something. Yep, you do it. <laughs> yeah. I noticed that uh, Debbie's wearing a Valentine's Day shirt uh, that says, Be Mine. And so I'd like to petition our diners for an allowance here. Since I'm being told it's February, can I just say that the floor picnic was Brian and Justin's Valentine's Day celebration? Like, can y'all just let me have that? Because it's been a very heavy episode, yes. a heavy season, and I just need some fluff and goodness in my life. That's what we're going to say. <laughs> there was a Valentine's Day little, little picnic yeah. episode, little that dinner little thing. That little picnic. Yes. Yeah. It was cute. I'm just going to say that that is true. We're claiming that. Okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, back over at Ted's condo, uh, Blake is there lying in bed looking very uncomfortable, and Ted stirs next to him, and he tells him, the alarm went off 10 minutes ago, and I'm thinking, oh, this is clever writing. Yes, for <laughs> you know, real. Because that alarm did go off a while ago mm-hmm. in Blake's mind. And Ted is still very much trying to celebrate life and Blake, and he's trying to start Blake's day off with a happy beginning. Oh, <laughs> yes. Lord. And Blake stops him saying, like, I don't think we should do this anymore. Um, and Blake doesn't want Ted to think that it's him. And so he's like, hey, it's, it's not about you. I should have known better. He tries to tell Ted, like, this According to the program, we shouldn't be doing this. And Ted's like, I'm not trying to hear about the program. Like, this is my life. And what does that have to do with us? Like, I'm allowed to make my own decisions. And Blake says, well, as your counselor, it's my job to help you make the right decisions. And Blake knows that he's crossed the line. Like, his relationship is crossing a line. And he can't be an effective counselor for Ted if he's also being his bed partner. Exactly. Um, Because they're already cutting corners and making exceptions. Yep. He can't be a good counselor and do that. No, he can't. And that's what I said last episode. I know that, you know, Blake n- Blake knew that he should have never crossed that line mm-hmm. um, in the first place. I'm glad he's doing it now, but I feel like now he's attached. You are literally putting this man, at, you're jeopardizing this man's sobriety. Right. Because he's not strong enough on his own. To, he always feels left, left out, alone, lonely. Yeah. The fact that he has no one to turn to, he's going to turn back to Tina. Like someone that's going to be there for him. 
that he thinks because that was the whole thing it made him feel pretty it made him feel desirable made him feel lovable yeah right when Blake was saying those words I was like damn I I do not want to see Ted go down that road again because another heartache is going to send him down a, a road of relapse yeah Ted is saying that he doesn't know what he would have done or how he would have survived without Blake. It's like, I need you. I can't do it. And, then at the, and Blake is like, all of that is that's convincing me yeah. that, yeah, that we have to stop this. Like, that's not the way to change Blake's mind. Because we know that Ted has a tendency to dive headfirst into a relationship. And right now he should really be focusing on himself, which is mm-hmm. what we've been saying and what, what Blake knows. Like, they made, like I said, they made all these exceptions to accommodate their feelings for each other. And what he should be or Ted is the kind of counselor that he is to the lady that we saw earlier and all his other people where his main concern is their sobriety and them being okay in their sobriety, but he's let feelings come in and mm-hmm. he's got to put a stop to it. So yeah, it's, it went too far, but I'm so I'm glad that he is still saying, okay, no, not anymore. No further. True. But I mean, it's a little too late for that now. Yeah. <laughs> the um... damage is done. <laughs> Yeah, now is probably not the time for me to point out that I had some reservations about this already. So I'll just save that. Yeah. Uh, Well, then we see Ben has been called to Hunter's school, which is never a good thing when your parent is called to school, usually. And it seems that Hunter got into a fight. According to Ben, Hunter has been doing really well. So Ben can't figure out why he's regressing. I'm kind of surprised that Ben hasn't put this together sooner. But between his boring book being rejected (laughs) and Michael getting the attention for his writing, the attention that Justin deserves. I mean. Facts. <laughs> Big facts. Okay. So someone messaged me one time and they were like, um, and, and no diss to this person. It's fine. We all have our opinions. It's fine. But they were like, I don't think you're giving Michael enough credit for his c- contribution to Rage. Uh, and now I know it's a joint project, but it seems like Justin is always the subject or the creator I think the only of the storyline. The only thing that Michael has brought to Rage is the fact that he loves fucking comic books. Yeah. Okay? I mean, he writes the dialogue, but the dialogue in a comic book is like, pow, yes, wham, smash. No. <laughs> I mean, if we're doing a whole cre- um, creation content then we're going to lean that on to Justin. Okay, yeah. like, yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, now, I love comic books, so no diss to comic book and writers. It's like, fun kind of picking at, it's fun picking at Michael a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because he's, he's such a, yeah, he, there are things about him that just make him, uh, I don't want to say an easy target, because I don't just target him all the time, I really don't. But there are just things about him that, they've all got flaws, but his are a little bit more, at the forefront. Maybe I'll say it like that. Okay, back to Hunter. So for Hunter, this is the first death of a positive person that he was close to since he found out about his status. And I don't know how long Vic had been positive, but I would think seeing someone in their late 40s or early 50s, kind of depending, would offer some sort of hope to Hunter, um, not only for himself, but for Ben as well. So it's not like, okay, I'll make it to Ben's age. It was like, maybe I'll make it to Uncle Vic's age, but not just me, Ben also, because mm-hmm. Ben is like a father figure for him. And so I'm sure he's worried for Ben too. And so it's like, okay, but now Vic can have, I'm sorry, now Ben can have a long life too. And then seeing that cut short. Right. Yeah, Hunter's thinking about himself, but yeah. I wonder if a part of him is also thinking about Ben. Losing people that he loves. Yeah. You know, and people that actually care for him. Mm-hmm. And feeling helpless. There's really nothing you can do except for, Take the meds that the doctors are telling you that's going to help you, you know. And then just hope. And that, hope yeah. that everything's going to work right. Yeah, you know? because after seeing that things can be fine until they're not, even with med- medication, that has to be scary and disheartening mm-hmm. for him. 
And Hunter feels like none of the progress that he's made in his behavior and in his health and then just like in his life status. Like what, he feels like none of that for? matters yeah. if I can still if I'm still gonna end up in a box like Vic. Mm-hmm. And so now Ben gets it and he recognizes this behavior and he can relate to that because of his whole thing with the steroids after he lost Paul. Uh-huh. And it's like, hey, I did some pretty self-destructive things after that, but I realize you can't let that happen. No, yeah. you have to stay strong. Mm-hmm. Have to keep feeding your body the right way and keeping it healthy as possible. Yeah, yeah, and just keep finding reasons to live in yes. today, in the mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Well, Hunter pretends to not know what he's talking about, but we know better. So Ben drops it because clearly he's not in the mood to talk about it yet. Right. Or he's not re- ready to be open and honest about it yet. But but at least now he knows what's going on. Exactly. Well, back at Debbie's, she's found the reindeer, and uh, Michael is there, and he's looking very concerned. And I'm sure Emmett called him and was like, uh, you need to yeah. come get your mama. Baby, I don't need you over here, like, on, on the 911. I need yeah. you on the fly, baby. Yeah, your mama has lost her marbles. Yeah. Come on over here. They're all over the place, okay? Yeah. Well, Emmett leaves to go Christmas shopping because he only has 310 days left. <laughs> Comedic time. That's, the, that's what I'm talking about. Emmett knows how to lighten a scene. Yeah. Like, that was so funny. Mm-hmm. So great. It was perfect. Uh, Michael is trying to get Debbie to slow down or to let him help. And she kind of cracks like, I don't need your help. I don't I don't want any help. And I think she feels like she has to do this all by herself. It's Vic's last request. And if she does this perfectly, well, then she cuts off. But what's left unsaid is like, maybe it will be a suitable apology. Maybe yes. it will atone for my behavior. Correct. Maybe he will forgive me. And then I can forgive myself and start to move on in the grieving process right. because also she wants to do this because she is a fixer too you know yeah. and she that's what she does she likes to fix and help people and take mm-hmm. care of caregiver but in that in that during the fight she told him that she did these things you know basically like i did these for you for you she's doing this for him but she wants him to let him know that she did it out of love for yeah. him on, yeah. on this one so and so yeah i think yeah i think you're right and this is an opportunity to fix that to say mm-hmm. okay but now this that i'm doing for you is out of love and right. not me mm-hmm. expecting anything back because at this yeah, point he can't. can't give her mm-hmm. he can't give her anything back so yeah i don't think michael's like okay what is happening but i don't think he fully understands the extent of her feelings of guilt and she's not grieving in a way that makes sense to him and so he's trying to help her but doesn't really know the right way to do that so he's just he's in the way <laughs> yeah to her he's definitely in the way and and uh yeah and so things are not okay as okay as they seem at the novotny house then uh, we see Lindsay showing up at the loft with Gus in tow, and she says that he's been saying "Dada" all day. But I swear I heard him saying "Mama" when she walked in. Yeah, for real. <laughs> he was like, no, Mama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, she tells Brian, "No, he hasn't suddenly developed an interest in ger- uh, German surrealism. Instead, he's been asking after Brian, and I love seeing Brian with Gus." Yeah. Uh, and Gus is such a cute kid. To see him get on the floor and get on his level and and, yeah. uh, and talk to him, engage with him, it was it was cute. Because Brian, I don't know why he plays like he doesn't want to be a father. Like, bro, you'll be a great dad. Yeah, because like, he loves that kid. Yes. You know, with the best of his ability mm-hmm. and to the fullest extent that he knows how. He loves that kid. Mm-hmm. He plops Gus in front of the TV and he's watching something like a documentary that's showing a scene from Rebel Without a Cause starring a very pretty James Dean. And... Brian is schooling us on all things James Dean, and he, he says he knew how to live, and he knew when to die. Uh, no getting old and gross. He went out in a blaze of glory, both jewels intact. What uh. more could a man ask for? And I know that it's also widely believed that James Dean lived according to that sort of philosophy, that live fast, die young, and have a good-looking corpse. 
he didn't coin that term, but that's right, a, right. that phrase, but a lot of times it's associated with him. Um, and that's been one of Brian's motto since season one. And like he was legitimately afraid of turning 30 and had Michael not shown up to the loft when he did, when he was doing oh, the yeah. scarfing, like uh-huh. it's possible Brian would not have turned 30. Absolutely. I know some people say that was accident. Some people say it was on purpose. Like, it doesn't matter. A, doesn't a sexual, matter. you know, experience gone bad. He still would have been gone. Accident yeah. on purpose, whatever. Yeah, it's very possible that yeah. yeah, he would not have turned thirty. Um, but something else about this film, Rebel Without a Cause, like some consider it to be cursed because all the lead actors and actresses in it uh, died under tragic or mysterious mm-hmm. circumstances before the age of forty-five, which is very young. And one such lead was Natalie Wood, who. Oh yeah, Emmett referenced her. I think it was an early season one mm-hmm. episode. He mentioned something about what happened that night, you know, on the boat. Uh, well, Lindsay thinks Gus is a little young for James Dean, but Brian thinks that watching Teletubbies will make him gay. <laughs> oh, Teletubbies! What no, a time! Yeah, they, they took us back. <laughs> what a time! Uh, Brian's approach may be unorthodox, but the sincerity is the same. Like I agree with Lindsay in his own way. He really is a good a good father, mm-hmm. or has the potential to be a really good father. Um, he's never going to fill the traditional role because Melanie and Lindsay are his, are his parents. parents, but he is a factor in that equation in, in some way. And Lin- here, Lindsay is offering like, Hey, if you want to spend more time with him, all you have to do is ask. And Brian says, well, I'd prefer to stick to the uncredited cameo appearances as the <laughs> anti-dad. And well, Lindsay goes on talking about Gus getting older and possibly getting married and having kids. And I'm pretty sure being a grandparent sounds like a definite buzzkill to Brian. Uh, but Lindsay says he'll be the hottest, handsomest anti-grandpa ever. But I love that she's giving him things. That's reason to live for. She doesn't even know that she's giving him reasons to live for because she doesn't know what he's going through. But to see your child grow up, get married, be happy, have grandchildren, little Kenny. Well, they wouldn't be Kenny's, but technically they kind of would be. You know what I'm saying? Little <laughs> yeah. Kenny's running around, yeah. you know, like, uh, those little subtle moments right there. I mean, like yeah. she doesn't even know what she's doing. Right. And, you know, here she is telling him, that he can be more present in Gus's life if he wants. She's saying Gus has been asking for him. She's talking about them watching Gus grow up. And really, she's like, there's a lot more that you can be a part of. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more as this life as his life progresses. Like, there's a lot more They're to be a part of. They're not keeping him away. So, yeah. yeah. While she's saying all this, the guy on the TV is talking about James Dean and how he joined the pantheon of celebrities who will be remembered as being forever young and unspoiled by time. And that's just something that, that that Plays he's getting reinforced, mm-hmm. yeah, um, around Brian. Because no matter what he chooses, it's a reminder that he won't always be at his peak. Because even if it's like, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to watch Gus get older and get married and have grandkids maybe, mm-hmm. or have kids maybe, then he's he's not going to be at his peak with that either. Like, he feels like he really, that saying 29 was kind of the last right. bit of holding on to to that. And so, yeah, he's got a lot going on. A lot. In his head. Well, we see Ben, Michael, and Hunter having a family dinner, and Michael is not happy about Hunter getting suspended from school. I mean, he's been giving him attitude. They caught him on the couch with the joint. He is not happy. And he says, I have enough to worry about without having to worry about you also. And I think Michael's just a little over the top. Over the top. In this scene. Uh, Ben lets it go and mostly stays out of it. But Hunter's like, I'm not just going to sit here and and be yelled at. And eventually Ben does cut in, and he tells Hunter to go to his room so he can talk to Michael. Michael thinks that Ben is coddling him and he says it's not his uncle who died and it's not his mother who's gone around the bend. And Ben points out that Hunter is 16 and positive and he's dealing with an HIV related death for the first time. And even if Hunter won't admit it, Ben knows that he is scared. And so he tells Michael that like, hey, he can use a little understanding. Absolutely. 
None of that occurred to Michael. Um, he I don't see how, though. Like, that's, that's silly, Michael. Yeah. And, and Michael was going hard. Like, I know you're struggling, but it doesn't mean you have to lash out on, on people, especially a child that you fought for to have right. in your home. You already knew that he was, you know, going through some things. So, I mean, like, he's not really doing anything abnormal right. than what he normally does. So, right. I don't know. Yeah. And typically, when you see some regression, usually that is triggered by something. Yes. So, yeah. He apologizes to Ben, although I think he should really be in there apologizing to Hunter. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, he tells him, I didn't even think about that. And Ben says, well, why would you? You don't have it. And I feel like Michael, well, we said, I feel like he handled handled this poorly. But again, Michael is often led by his emotions. And a lot of times he speaks before he has thought things through. And he does have some other stuff going on. And I'm not going to just bash Michael and harp on Michael because it's not just a Michael problem. I think it's just like a human thing, a human problem. Like we often get caught up in our own junk and we forget to make space for other people in our orbit to have their own junk too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like comparing like, well, my, my issues are bigger than yours. Right. And I feel like that's just not a good game at to all. play mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. And I think another thing, like Michael has a lot of Debbie in him in that he jumps into other people's stuff <laughs> thinking that he has to be the one to fix it and right. to carry the worry of all of it. And that can be an admirable quality at times, but at others, it does this weird thing where it inflates your ego, kind of yes. like what happened with Vic and Debbie, where mm-hmm. like now this becomes about you. You this was about me, but now this is about you and what you have to do this and you have to do that. You have to be the one to fix this and carry this and so true. So yeah, true. and but even when and when you're in that situation, it's hard to see yourself as a selfish one because it's like, but I'm doing this for you. Like, you know, I'm like, worried about you. Yeah, I'm worried about you. Like, yeah, no, how can I no, be no, selfish no. when it's all about you? You're doing it for yourself so you can make yourself feel better. Yeah, okay? yeah. I'm not saying it's intentional, but I just think it's something that Michael falls into yep. at, at times. Um, because there are two other men in Michael's immediate orbit who have the same condition as this man who just died. And I kind of feel like maybe he should have assumed they might have some feelings about that. Correct. But again, he's only human. And uh, for all of us humans, our priorities and sensitivities <laughs> get a little off at times. So then we see Ted at Babylon and, uh, Girl. you know, it's a normal night at Babylon, but we are seeing it through Ted's eyes, through his point of view. And it looks totally different. To it looks me. totally like, different. It didn't even yeah, look like Babylon It looks to me. real seedy. Yeah. Like you see guys, like drugs everywhere and guys in various stages of inebriation and as shade of blue by black rebel motorcycle club plays, which is a great song. Great. Mm. It's great for that scene. But, uh, yeah, it just looks totally different. And he spots two of Dr. Crystal's guys and walks over to them. And I'm going to tell you right now, Teddy, like, I can't do this with you I'm again. I'm done, I girl. I cannot do this with you again. I just complained about Michael doing this, but I said it's a human trait. And I just really have too much going on emotionally to just, do this. For real. Because <laughs> I said when Blake did that, when Blake let him yeah. go, and I said, oh, my God, girl, he's going to relapse. Woo, woo. When we saw him in the club, and I was saying he was looking around, but I was like, "This is Babylon," because it didn't look like Babylon for a right, minute. Right? Yeah. And, I was like, and then when I saw him go up the stairs, and I was like, "Oh hell no!" Yeah, I can't do tweaked out Teddy again. No. Oh, I like the tweaked out Teddy. <laughs> I cannot no. do it again. And Nuh-uh. I'm like, "How about we pause it?" Yeah. And you wait until I can handle that. Thank okay? you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, appreciate you for doing that. Anyway, so these guys invite him back to Doctor C's. They're gonna go there after. Babylon. How's this man not shut down yet? I know. Or lost his license? I, oh gosh. Well, he doesn't want to go there, but he does want a little Tina. And so one of the guys pulls some out of his junk drawer. And, uh, <laughs> like, didn't I say no, Ted? I said no to that. I'm not ready, baby. Yeah, I'm not ready. One guy offers him a free bump. And you see Ted, and he's, like, really contemplating it. And as he's kind of looking over, possibly about to lean down, he sees someone or something that 
pulls him up short. That's how you know that you're doing some shit wrong. Yeah. If you have to look over and you see your friends, now you finna scurry off. Yeah. Like, you know you shouldn't be in that area. Yeah, because it turns out Justin and Emmett are also at Babylon. And Justin is talking to Emmett about his Brian problem. And can I just say, I want more Justin and Emmett scenes. I like, know. They're good I together. I can just see the two of them plotting ways to drive Brian crazy <laughs> and get under his skin. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I want to see more of them. Um, well, he is, Justin is telling Emmett that Brian has never turned him down before. And Emmett says, that doesn't sound like the Brian Kenny we all know and feel ambivalent about. <laughs> I, think that, I think he said that in an earlier episode, too. Uh, well, Justin's like, is it my hair? Maybe I'm getting too old. And Emmett reassures him, like, no, it's none of that. Yeah. Like, maybe y'all are just in a slump. And he says it happens in all the best non-relationships. <laughs> and Justin's like, we've done everything, everyone. Like, there is nothing else. Right. And Emmett says all it takes is a couple of new ingredients to perk up an old familiar dish. And there happen to be two ingredients down the bar mm. who are cruising Justin pretty hard. Yes. <laughs> that was a cute little scene. And Emmett giving him words of advice, you know, yeah. like, no, baby, it's not you. Every relationship, which is true. Every relationship kind of goes through his bump. I thought it was cute that Justin, <laughs> cute and sad, Justin yeah. was worried about, am I too old? Right. You like, know? is it me? Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Is it me? Like, what, wh- how can I, what did I do? How can I fix this? Right. And he immediately went to that. Like, yeah. okay, I got to change something. I have to, I yeah. have to fix this. Yeah. But it also shows that he loves this man so much that he would do whatever it needed to be done yeah. to make him happy, you know? So, I mean, it was like sad, but also kind of happy. It was a cute moment at the same yeah. time. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I need, yeah. I, like you said, I need more Emmett and Justin as well. Yeah, and I like that he was talking to Emmett because you remember in season two, he went to Michael with his Brian problem. And so I like that he was talking to Emmett here. I feel like that's mm-hmm. probably better. It's the only one that yeah. he really could talk to and get mm-hmm. an honest and answer. And I think if you straight up told Emmett, like, do not tell anyone about he this, he won't tell. I think Emmett, Emmett is the most loyal out of all yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. Now, if you don't give him that disclaimer, like, don't tell this, then yeah. he's going to blab it everywhere. I'm, I'm, <laughs> he's Liberty spilling that tea everywhere. Mm-hmm. But... But if you tell him, don't mention this. Or if he just knows, I probably should keep this to myself. Right. He ain't gonna say nothing. Uh, so then Brian is home, and Justin and friends have prepared a long, hard night after Brian's long, hard day at the office. So Brian comes in, and he sees something going on, yeah, opens sil- a little silhouettes. partition. Yeah. And there are these two guys, plus Justin there. And Brian says that he forgot something at the office and practically, like, turns and runs out of there. And Justin tries to stop him, but... It's too late. Now his spidey sense is going crazy like something is up. Brian has never turned away some hot, sexy, steamy, some brand new fresh meat too. Right. When he was just complaining like we're running out of options last episode. So, I mean, like something's up. Like my spidey sense would have been like, alert. Yeah. He, yeah, he is so convinced there's something going on. Like Brian doesn't always process things aloud. So I'm sure Justin is used to seeing him broody or silent. Or just kind of in this weird little by himself thing. But this is Brian refusing sex, something he's never done before. Since the very first night they met, like this has never been an issue for them. Even when things were rocky leading up to the breakup, the physical part was never an, an issue. And we, we talked about Brian trying to help Justin during the Pink Posse arc. Mm-hmm. And here, Justin's doing the same. This is what you were saying a while ago. Like he's trying to understand what's going on with him and trying to figure out a way to help him or fix things. And that's why I don't understand why people say, well, it looks like it was always one-sided. Like, Justin never does anything for Brian. Like, Brian's always the one trying to fix the relationship or whatever. And I know that's not, I, that might not be a popular thing, but I know that that's something that gets said. And well, I, I don't see where that's coming from. I don't either, because last time I checked, it was Justin who saved Brian's ass when he had the, mole- yeah. um, the 
child abuse case um, on his ass. You know? Right. If anything, um, they, they do this for each yeah. other. They really try. To, they give each other space to they be do. themselves, and then they pursue their own lives. But they do work really hard to understand and help each other. I, I feel mean, like. they definitely help each other. Mm-hmm. Justin's immediate thing was, okay, what what can I do? How can I fix it? Like, if this is an issue that he can control or fix, like he's going he's going to do that. But this is probably the first time that he hasn't been able to figure out what's what's wrong with Brian. He's usually really good at decoding him. Mm-hmm. Maybe not always immediately, but uh, it usually doesn't take him too long. But here is Brian's sex god, Kenny, walking out on a foursome because right. he forgot something at the office. So, <laughs> I, I, I just can't believe it. I know. Of course, Justin's completely thrown. I'm yeah, completely thrown. I, girl, I was not expecting. I was like, oh, this is going to be hot because the guys were smoking hot. I mean, things were swinging. <laughs> it was a, it was a good old good old scene. It was. It yeah. could well, it was a good setup yeah, for good setup. a potentially good scene. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, then we see Michael and Hunter, and they are biking to their respective destinations for the day. And uh, Michael is going over the plan for the Debbie's Christmas in February party, and Hunter tells him he doesn't want to go. Well, Michael has kind of changed his tone after listening to Ben. Thank and, God. Yeah, he tries to explain to Hunter why it's important to Debbie, and Hunter says, "Well, what's she gonna do when I croak?" And Michael is trying to assure him, like, hey, you're not going to croak. You're going to be around for a long, long time. And Hunter says, well, how do you know? Like, how can you be sure? He kind of calls him on it. And Michael has to confess, well, I I don't know. But then he echoes Ben's mantra. You have to live in the now. Like, that's why it's so important to live in the now. And um, that's a great a great idea but it does little to eradicate hunter's fear yeah it, it does he doesn't want anyone to sugarcoat anything for him yeah don't just say these words he wants some truth like i mean he's struggling right now so you need to get on his emotional level mm-hmm. i know that you feel that right now hunter's like you can't connect with me because you're not going what i'm going through but michael you've been around vic your entire life you saw the struggles and what your mom went through taking care of him you can use those experiences to meet to meet Hunter where he is, you know, right. and to reassure him through hard work and happy thoughts. And there's going to be days where you are down and you're, you're hurting and you're sick and you don't want to go on. But once you keep going forward, you can live. I mean, Vic was supposed to be gone. Right. And he lived, you mm-hmm. know, like, so, I mean, there's still hope. Yeah. The good thing is, I think Michael sees some confirmation of what Ben said. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, he really is struggling with that. And so at least he's being more considerate right now because he tells him, like, hey, if you don't want to go, you don't, you don't have, have to, to go. go. Mm-hmm. Over at Ted's condo, he is sitting on his couch staring at a tiny vial of white powder. Girl. And there's, there's a knock on his door, and it's Emmett. Well, Ted hides it under a pillow. No, Everyone is, in this show wants to get caught. Like, yeah, for real. He is so silly. Yeah, like, yeah. like with I'm, the exception of Brian, none of them can hide anything. They're all terrible. Terrible. <laughs> terrible, terrible, terrible. And you would think Ted would have learned his lesson after the whole trash can debacle yeah, with the girls. with the pipe. Yeah. No. I was, I was throwing away my, my triggers. Bro, it, it looked real um, real suspicious yeah. right now. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing, like, you're holding the bottom and you're going to put it under a pillow. Yeah. And you hear a knock at the door, knowing you're going to let them in. <laughs> Where are they going to sit at, Ted? Yeah. Where? You just put it in your pocket. Yeah. Like, Stupido. Yeah. Anyway, Emmett has stopped by and he announces himself as the ghost of Christmas past, which is fitting. He, he came by to tell Ted that he read his letter a few times. Well, Ted remembers that Emmett gave the letter back or he rejected it. But then he tells him, well, Blake found it and brought it back to me big ups to blake yes i'm glad he did it emmett is brutally honest in what he says but he's not i don't think it's to be vindictive i think he needs to make amends as well like there are some things that he needs to own up to and confess as well but and i'm glad that he was very honest i'm pretty yeah. sure if he would have came back all cookie cutter and shit emmett i mean um ted wouldn't have felt it but the fact right. that he was honest like 
You know, I, I was hurting, so I wanted you to hurt. I didn't want you to get better. You deserved to feel the way that I was kind of feeling. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Like, that was some honest, real shit. Yep. And when it's real, you have you can only respect it, and you can feel that. Yeah. So I'm glad he was very real. Like, yeah. I mean, he was 110 toes down on that ass yeah. with well, that one. Ted says that he felt the same way. You know, he's like, I don't. I, I kind of feel like I shouldn't shouldn't have recovered either. And you know, I don't think it's necessarily that Emmett wanted him to still be on drugs, but I think he didn't want him to be able to bounce back so easily. Now, I don't think it was easy. I mean, Ted is poorly hiding a vial of crystal meth under a decorative throw <laughs> pillow right now, so clearly it wasn't easy. But uh, to Emmett, it looks like it's been easy. Like his friends have forgiven him. He's got the perfect job. He's got Blake. Like it looks like everything is just turned around for him and life has rewarded him after his transgressions is what it seems like Mm -hmm. to Emmett. And so Emmett's able to confess that, like, this is what I was struggling with. This is what I was holding on to. And he tells him that Blake is a good counselor and a good friend and that you are, you Ted are lucky to have him. And there's nothing Ted can say to that because he knows that he's got some crystal on the couch. (laughs) And also just like hearing this, this from Emmett, like he's been kind of waiting for this. And so, yeah, Emmett wishes him the best and then he turns to go and I think for right now, this is probably the best we can hope for with the two of them. I mean, to me, that's some resolution for mm-hmm, me. That's all mm-hmm, I needed. Mm-hmm. I, they had a civil conversation. Yeah. It was honest and heartfelt. That's that's all I really needed. Because yeah. now we can grow and build from this moment. Yeah. It's not going to put them back to where they were, but it's at least a path toward healing this part of their of mm-hmm. their lives and of their story. And we have, you know, when Emmett first got there, he can't started off with a little joke. Uh, well, I mean, he said, talked about the cardstock. And, you know, it's something that they both, a place they both visited together. I love how... They finally had a smile together because yeah. they haven't smiled and laughed together in a long time. They were able to connect over the, the hottie um, um, cashier at yeah. the place and just see them both of their, their kind of smile. It wasn't like a super warm, warm smile, but it, it, but was, it, was, it was good. Yeah, yeah, a good start. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Now, for me, I was kind of thinking like, not about this situation, but just the whole Emmett Ted thing in general. Um, I was thinking that... Um, I felt like something was missing with, with Ted going from Emmett to rehab and straight to Blake. Like, there was no discussion of the possibility of him and Emmett ever getting back together. I know. I didn't like <laughs> yeah. that. I didn't like that. Uh, yeah, but I guess Ted didn't feel um, deserving of that. And so I kind of see why he might go back to Blake. Uh, and there are kind of two ways to look at that. Like, one, there was unfinished business there, of course. And now Blake has kicked the thing that was in between them together right. that first time. But the other way to look at it is they that, have that in common. Yeah, since Blake is a recovering addict himself, there's less shame and less right. feelings of inferiority involved on Ted's part. Because mm-hmm. if he was with Emmett, he might still feel that that judgment, that inequality, even right. if it wasn't really there. Right. But with Blake, it's like, okay, we we can both relate to this. Oh, it's, it's not as big of a deal. Mm-hmm. It's not this ugly thing that's sitting in the corner of our relationship because we can talk about it openly. Correct. Like, I do think he cares deeply for Blake, but I, and I do like the two of them together, but I question the timing being right and also kind of question Ted's motives or his reason. Right. I mean, his reasons, I mean, he just latches on, mm-hmm. you know, he, he latches on to anyone. Um, again, it goes back to, he needs to be able to be independent on his own. Yeah. I'm still on the fence about Ted and, and, um, and Blake being together again. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't, mm. I got a question for you. Do you think if Blake wasn't in the picture, Ted would have tried to go back to Emmett? And do you think Emmett would have accepted him back? Um, like, let's say he has yes, another counselor. Exactly. I think if Ted, yeah, he would have done everything in his power to get back in, to Emmett. But since it was Ted, I mean, since it was Blake there, I think he just took the shortcut. Okay. So when Emmett came to visit him, went to visit him in rehab, like before Ted acted a fool and uh, before Blake showed up, do you think? 
part of Emmett was hoping that they were going to get back together? Do you think Absolutely. He- Emmett said he wasn't going to go. And then the fact that he showed up, it was a part of him like, I still got love for you. I w- I'm glad you're taking the steps. I want to see you. If he wouldn't act a fool, I think that would have been the perfect ground, like the, the foundation for them to rebuild. They would have taken it slow, but they would have rebuilt. Yeah, or at least would have tried to. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel like they might have. Yeah, they might would have tried to rebuild it. Well, Emmett leaves and Ted closes the door. And maybe it's it's kind of symbolic of closing the door on that chapter, mm-hmm. like that specific version of their connection, their mm-hmm. relationship and friendship or whatever. Well, then we see Michael and Brian at the loft and they are dipping into Brian's emergency stash this time and <laughs> because Michael is stressed. Uh, he's feeling a preponderance of death, and that's not by Arthur Miller. That is preponderance of evidence, which is something to do with Salem witch trials, I, th- oh. I think. I think. I don't know. I should have looked that up before I said it. But anyway, close. Close enough. Uh, <laughs> Michael says everywhere he turns, he's confronted by the inevitable fact of um, one's mortality. And again, there's so much happening in Brian's expressions and in his face. And I think if Brian knew that this is what Michael wanted to come over and talk talk about, he, he would have suddenly said, no. remembered, mm-hmm. uh, I left some at the office. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I left all the lights on at the yeah, office. Yeah, I left everything at the office. I have to go back right <laughs> the now. The coffee maker is still on. i got to yeah. go turn it off. Uh, Michael continues, it's not just about Uncle Vic. It's Ben, Hunter. He says, I know it's a horrible thing to say, and I try not to think about it, but they could both die, and I would be the one left to pack up their stuff. And if you look at Brian, there's like this small smile and a little subtle nod on his face where, and I feel like it's him thinking, yep, Michael will be the one to come pack up my stuff and mm-hmm. turn out my lights. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's gonna, that's what he's going to do. Then Brian kind of thinks about it for a second, and he takes this chance to comfort his best friend, but also he drops a little Easter egg there, knowing that he's being honest without actually admitting anything. And he says, just because they're positive doesn't mean they'll be the first to go. Then he lists a few random but very real ways that, could cause Michael to be the one to go before they do. Correct. And it's Brian's odd brand of a comfort speech. (laughs) Michael pulls him into a hug, and at first Brian tries to stay away, but then he kind of sinks into it, but then it's like, nope, can't do that. So he has to tap out of that. Um, Well, Michael says he gets scared of being left alone, and Brian shrugs it off, saying it's how we all came in, it's how we'll all go out. And Michael says, yeah, but until then, I'd prefer at least the illusion that someone else is there, if only temporarily. Brian says, the less you have to hold on to, the easier it is to let go. And I think Brian really believes that. Yes, I do Uh, believe that Yeah, when we first met him in season one, like, everything about him actively avoided any kind of attachment. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, I live alone. I only do one-time hookups. Like, I don't want anyone to really know me. Right. I'd rather let you believe whatever myths and legends about the set of Liberty Avenue than to let you really see who I am very much. Yeah. He, he doesn't, he doesn't want that emotional attachment because he doesn't want to hurt anyone and he doesn't want to be hurt himself. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, and he, I think it was a lie, but what he would tell himself is I don't care about anything, but my pleasure, nothing else matters. It's a lie. Yeah. It's a <laughs> lie. Uh, Michael tells him, well, still, I'm glad I have you. And Brian says, well, who said anything about me? Because Brian knows what's, going on with him and uh michael says it's nice to know that no matter what happens we'll always have we'll always have each other like we always have and he's hugging brian and kissing his neck and i know i know these are two best friends who often reassure one another and comfort one another through physical touch but girl what have last time what have i ever kissed on your neck i know i just it is not even just that like Okay, I would be lying to myself if I didn't admit that I can see why some people have a problem with Michael and his friendship with Brian. Like, 
I mean, some of you diners know where I'm going with this. And I'm probably not going to go there. But y'all know. So party in my DMs later. (laughs) (laughs) But for now... You can just call me Debbie because I'm biting my tongue so hard I'm tasting blood. Yes, so, girl. I'm gonna let you talk about it for a second. Oh no, no, I just, bro, stop it! Like that ship is gone. You will no, no. We for one, we have Justin. That's Justin's job. Okay, Justin is gonna be there to kiss on his neck. Justin is gonna be there to turn off his lights and to be there for him, like he's always have been. Yeah. <laughs> for the last four seasons. Okay, you have a whole child and a man that you need to be focused on. That's going through. You ever smoking weed and kissing on this man's neck when you need to be trying to make Hunter understand some shit? <laughs> for real. Okay. Yeah. Like, get it together. Trying to help him work through his fears. Yeah. yeah. And like, okay, I'm gonna say one thing because say it, of course I'm going to. I'm never gonna keep quiet. Uh, but they're like. That's a very intimate spot to be kissing someone yeah. who is not your man while basically telling them that if your man dies, you'll still have them. Yep. I think that's the part of it yeah. that, no, that bothers it's me. real yeah. shady in there. It, yeah. It's not even looking sounding right. A little suspect. A little sus. Yeah. As the kids say in these days. A little mm-hmm. sus, baby. Uh-uh. Yeah, so to the people who will have our heads, if we say anything negative about Michael, let me repeat. I know these are two best friends who comfort each other in physical ways. And uh, and I do not hate Michael, but I just, this is just, I don't know. Mm-mm. Yeah, no, it, it, it's not right for me. <laughs> yeah. Every time I see a scene like that, I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I, I better move on. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, don't so, kill us. Yeah, I know. Be nice to us. So when, Michael <laughs> is telling, <laughs> so when Michael is telling Brian that they will still have each other like they always have, Brian doesn't respond. And there's a look on his face that is not a look of ecstasy. It, I think it's a, a look, look of worry. It's like, like, I think it's kind of like some like guilt, because mm-hmm. he knows what he's not t- what he's not saying exactly, and he knows what Michael doesn't know, and so I think it's a little bit of guilt, and you can see these times where he almost wants to say something, but he's not going to. And also, he's unsure of the decision that he's going to make. So, will you have each other forever? Right. You know, like I mm-hmm. mean, either if he doesn't get this taken care of, we don't know how rapid this could. Yeah, go and through even his body. if it's not this, it's just like, hey, you are a mortal human being. Yes. You know? We're all gonna go. Yeah, so. and so, and even though Brian has some awareness of that, like he, he doesn't focus on on mm-hmm. that, and so this is putting it right in his face. So he's having to think about it. Yep. So even if it's not this, it, 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 he could be the one getting hit by a bus. Or exactly. A disgruntled postal worker, you know? Uh, so he just, yeah. his eyes are different now. Mm-hmm. You know, like now that you know, he's like, look, time clock on him right yeah. now. You know, he's just viewing things differently. You're not going to get the same reaction. You're not going to get the same Brian. Matter of fact, this whole episode, he was pretty damn quiet. Right. He didn't he really was. speak a lot. No, so. <laughs> it's all in the face. Yeah, yeah all in the face. So, summing up this scene, in Brian's mind, if death is inevitable, like, which way would he prefer to go? Young and beautiful, for which Brian means, is that synonymous with desirable and wanted, or kind of old and crusty, which to Brian means unworthy of affection or attention. And what's interesting is that I don't think he would categorize it that way for other people. Like, if it was Michael or Ben or Debbie or whoever, he wouldn't separate it like that. But for himself, like, those are, that's how he sees Mm -hmm. it. And I also think Brian is trying to tell himself that he isn't holding on to much. And so it would be easy for him to let go. And like, they're not holding, he's not giving them too much. So, you know, they're not really getting a whole lot from, from exactly. him. And so it's like, it'll be easy for them to let me go. Um, but here's Michael putting this expectation on him to be there for him. And I'm not saying that to be like, Michael, how dare you? I'm saying it to show that Brian is aware that Michael expects him to be present in his life and to not leave right. him. Mm-hmm. And so he's got the weight of that, of that on him as he's, Making his decision, yeah. yeah. 
So then we see Ted waiting outside for Blake. Um, I guess they're at the rehab center and Blake is trying to keep his distance because he cares deeply for Ted. And he's like, no, I have to be firm about this. I don't think that it was easy for him to walk away, but he knows it was the best thing for for both of them, primarily for for Ted. Mm -hmm. But Ted convinces him like, hey, just listen. And Ted says, after you said you didn't want to see me anymore, but Blake corrects him. Like, I said it wasn't good for either of us right, to see right. Because he knows that that's important. Mm-hmm. If my, if Ted gets that negative thought in his head. He's going to run with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Ted admits that he went and got some of Dr. C's finest. And he pulls it out there on the street. Like, oh, on the gosh. street, girl. What happened if the cop was walking <laughs> yeah. by? You lucky yeah. that, um, what was my baby name? Uh the mayor who was running for mayor. Oh, Jim Stockwell. You lucky Stockwell ass, you know, gone locked up because, <laughs> baby, they would have been on them streets. You would have been done. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, you know, I know that Blake has been sober for like two years, but I don't think it's a good idea to be whipping it out in front of him. Yeah. Like, that. like nah. And yeah. then, girl, he whipped it out. Keep going. Well, yeah. So, that's the, he's been walking around with it and he did a little accounting and it would, um, he said if he took it or if he used it, it, he would have fallen back into it, and uh, that would have put him in the minus column, perhaps permanently this time. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. He was on rock bottom the first yeah. time. Like, I mean, he went crazy. It mm-hmm. ruined his entire life. Mm-hmm. And it were it not for what he saw happen to him from that video, he yeah, probably would have still yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. still been in that. And Ted tells him that when we first fell in love, it was because you needed me to take care of you. And this time it's because I needed you to take care of me. Which you did, but he realized, like, that's not fair. And so he apologizes for being too selfish to see or care about the problem there and about his own motives. That was the sweetest thing he could have said. Yeah, yeah. And they both realize that they have lousy timing. And maybe one day the timing will be right, or at least one can hope. Right. Or just stop being my counselor. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, put me with somebody else. Yeah. But even still, has got to get to the point to where true, 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 true. whether or not you use crystal is based on if you got a boyfriend or not. Like that's Facts. not, yeah. it's not a stable spot to be in. Not yeah. at all, not at all. But the fact that he emptied the whole vial, though, yeah. I was like, that's some he, strong yeah, cause, shit. Yeah, because Blake tries is like, hey, give me that in case you get tempted. But yeah. but he didn't want to give it to Blake either. Like I know you've been sober for two years. Like, but um, <laughs> yeah. baby, I just tell you this is Doctor C's finest. For real, like, you had yeah, a little, little, and it's but, free. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. baby. And nobody uh-uh. but the two of us will know you got it. Like no. Yeah. So yeah, he pours that out mm-hmm. in that pours out some white powder in the street as the snow begins to fall. So. Yeah. I'm thinking, oh, if Blake would have just did a good inhale, he would have got a little piece. A little piece. And he, he did do a little sniffle. Yeah, no, no, like, no, I'm kidding. No, no, no. Playing, no, playing, no I take playing. it back. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, y'all. Do not kill us. Do that, not kill us. that was really just comedy. We take it back. We take it back. Uh, so, okay. I'm going to set up the next scene, but we won't talk about it just okay. yet. Because, yeah. But let me just set it up. So, Cynthia comes into Brian's office there at Kinetic, and she can't believe that he is taking off. He... Uh, she's like, you have meetings from your from his biggest accounts. I mean, this is his brand new company, right? And and he's just gonna leave to go do whatever he's going to do. And uh, he tells Cynthia they can wait until I get back. And she says, well, when will that be? And he says, I'll let you. I'll let you know. Now she says that she's worked for Brian for five years. She's never known him to just take off like this. And Brian says, well, that's the point of being your own boss. You can make your own hours, come and go as you please, not have to answer to anyone. Well, Justin comes in as he's saying that, and then he jokingly says, almost anyone. Brian looks up, and he's like, oh, the ball and chain. (laughs) And then he asks Cynthia to excuse them. 
And uh, Justin's kind of, his face is like, okay, that was interesting. Yeah. Well, Justin asks where he's going, and Brian says to Ibiza, and he's leaving tonight. Well, Justin takes that information with everything else that's going on. It's like, uh, without me? And Brian shrugs it off and says, well, you know, you're going back to school. It would be irresponsible of me to pull you out. And Justin says, forget school, forget the bet, and and F you. We were supposed to go there together. Well, then Brian loses all of his chill. We're not married. I don't need your permission if I want to go somewhere. Yeah. We're going to deal with all of this, but I just got to set it up because there's a reason we're doing it like this. And so I'm sure Justin's flipping out internally, uh, thinking, what is happening? Um, Well, Brian walks out to grab something, and when he comes back, he's a little bit calmer. And Justin says, you're right. We're not married. We have no obligation to tell each other anything. He continues, like, if I did something or said something to upset you, like, I didn't I didn't mean to. And Brian pulls him in and says, it's not you. Um, And Justin's like, okay, well, well, what is it? Brian doesn't answer. Justin sees that he's not going to volunteer this information, and we've already established that Brian doesn't owe it to him an explanation. Uh, so Justin retracts his question and accepts that, okay, this is happening. And he says, okay, well, do whatever it is that you have to do for whatever reason you have to do it, but I want you to know that I love you, and I will be here when you get back. Mm. Um, yeah, so then Justin leaves, and Brian watches him go, and then he turns out his lights. Then when he gets to the last lamp there in his office, he slings it <laughs> across the, you know. Destroys it. Yeah, destroys it. Okay, so we're going to deal with all that in a minute. <laughs> and there's, yeah. Uh, so back over at Debbie's, a very blonde chandelier is performing Rocking Around the Christmas Tree. Yes. Love to see it because the last time we saw Darren. Darren was in a bad in spot. In a bad way. Yeah. yeah. And so love seeing this. Justin says that he knew Shanda would be back on her heels. And she says, you can't keep a good drag queen down. That part. <laughs> yeah, so Debbie has gone all out. No, I want to be at this damn party. Yeah. She killed it. It's a winter wonderland over <laughs> yeah. there at the Novotny house. Mm-hmm. She did that. And um, Chandelier looks amazing. Yeah. I'm glad she decided to go blonde, because I yeah. know we was, we was questioning that. She did that. Uh, and, girl, you will lip sync the house down. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> like, you are bad. Go yeah, on. Yeah, Shanda is owning the lip sync game. And all the gang has shown up to support this. Like they might not understand it, but they're like, okay, Debbie wants to do this. It's important to her. We're gonna we're gonna do this. And so I love that too. Like how they are even in times when they don't understand each other, like they've they've we're shown here. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and we also see Ted and Emmett have a nice little cheers, a nice little exchange in the kitchen, which is a very it's very just good to right. to, to see them at it's that point. It's a slow start, but yeah. I mean it's a start. Mm-hmm. Debbie gives a speech and she tells them this was Vic's favorite holiday and so it's a very fitting tribute to him and she says that she's going to put the angel on the tree in his honor that's something the two of them used to fight over as kids and so she climbs up the little chair and places it on top of the tree and then it topples over and breaks girl that was nobody but Vic <laughs> yeah, but I know the ghost of Vic yeah came he was like, like you know what bitch this ain't over no this ain't over you know what I'm saying I'm gonna get the last word yeah. okay and knock her on over yeah uh, well Debbie breaks down screaming it had to be perfect like this was her one chance to make it right and she failed in her in her mind so. that's crazy it was perfect yeah. you like mm-hmm. you honored this man like no other yeah. It, it really was. It was beautiful. But I understand, like, it was her. She didn't get to say goodbye. She didn't end on her own terms, you know? Right. So, I mean, it needed to be perfect yeah. for her so she could forgive herself. Yeah. But, I mean, girl, you went all out. It was perfect. Yeah, bless her heart. So, yeah, we don't get any reconciliation no. there. 
Okay, let's go back to the scene. And the reason I wanted to do it this way is because, okay, so after that, after Debbie's meltdown, we are in the operating room and we see a kind of scared looking Brian there on the operating table counting backwards from 10. Um, so he decided to, to, go, through to go through with the biopsy. the biopsy. Yeah. And so the reason that I had us do the scene out of order is because it really depends on what you think about what you think Brian's decision was at that point when he was in the office. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you, just not what we see at the end, but when he was in the office, what, what do you think Brian's decision was? Um, I thought that he was giving up. Like, he was like, fuck it, I'm going to die young. Yeah. You know, like, I'm going to go for I'm going to live the best of my life. I'm not going to be hooked up depending on radiation. I'm not going to be depending on medicines. I'm just not going to be a what if I if my body does take the surgery or whatever the case. I'm just going to live. Like, I'm feeling good now. I, I can control this. I just, like, he had given up. Like, yeah. he was going, you yeah. know, like, and he was not going to the hospital. That, that's that's what I think. Like, and I've, I've reached out and asked for some confirmation on that, but I I interpret this as, he was like, nope, I am going to be saying for mm-hmm. however long, you know, um, we already know time is a weird thing in this right, world right. anyway. So, but I think that's what he was going, going to do because in the scenes that he had with everybody, it's not that he was saying goodbye, but it, it's almost like you could feel him detaching. And mm-hmm. even though they kept, because death makes you talk about the people that are in your life and mm-hmm. about the future. And it makes you be just a little bit more honest and open about your feelings and your fears and so they were having these conversations with him about you're still going to be here. You're going to see your son grow up. You know, Justin saying we're going to take this vacation together. So in all of those, he was detaching. I, I felt like right. he you was. Could see the pullback. Yeah, mm-hmm, there was a pullback. And so he didn't want to be too obvious about it, but you but you could see it. And so I really feel like his decision was. Nah, I'm I'm not gonna do it. Like I'm gonna just go out in a yeah. place of glory. And he really was gonna go, but I think the only thing that stopped him is when Justin said, "Work it out, whatever you have to work with, but just know it, I'm still going to be here yeah. waiting for you. Yeah. Like you're not going through this alone." Although Justin don't know he's going, th- he don't know doesn't know what he's going through. It's like I'm gonna be here. I'm yeah. gonna be waiting for you. Like do what you need to do. Take yeah. as much time as you need to take. I'm gonna be here. Yeah, you know? I think you. I think that's exactly right. And so uh, let's go back and work walk through mm-hmm. this scene again. So. When Justin comes in, I think the key thing is that he calls Justin a ball and chain. Yes. Justin has never been. Ever. Well, I mean, aside from some little, you know, hiccups here and there, for the most part, definitely since they've been back together in season three, he lets Brian do whatever Brian mm-hmm. wants to do. Mm-hmm. And but I think what it is, is Justin is his anchor. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's anchored him in place and into life, into a relationship. And Brian. Yep. Never wanted an anchor, but then Justin came it along. It just happened, you know? yeah. But then Justin came along, and it changed all of that. And so, and so that's that's the one. I think you know he had a conversation with Michael. He had a conversation with Lindsay. And even though he loves those people, and those are very important relationships in his life, and even with Gus, like I feel like in his mind he was able to kind of detach from that because they have other things, and they're not really what anchors him on a day to day basis. You know, even though he loves them, and so I think he sees. Clearly, he sees Justin as like that would be the one thing that would make me want to want to stay in place. Right, right. So, a couple other things that I picked up on that make me feel this way is because when Cynthia says, "When when will you be back?" He says, "I'll let you know." If he was just going to have a procedure, he would know my procedure's on Tuesday. I'll right. have you know post op. I'll have whatever. I'll be back on Friday. Like he could have said that it's just for five days or whatever. But I think he did what he said he was going to do. I bought a one way ticket. Yep. To Ibiza, I think I think he really did that. And normally, if he was just going to go to get the procedure and 
it would have been it wouldn't have been so hostile, so aggressive. I mean, Cynthia was really coming for his head, and he was coming back for hers. You know, mm-hmm. um, it was it was one of those emotional emotional driven scenes. Yeah, uh, and it was filled with a little anger in it. You know, yeah. like he was mad that he was even having to answer to anybody yeah. about the decisions that he's making about his life. You don't know what I'm going through. So the same way Michael was feeling all you know built up, all the all the tensions kind of built up. That's Brian times 20, yeah. who's not even expressing it to anyone. Yeah. So this was his moment like where he's like, I'm doing what I'm going to do. I'm doing what I, what I need to do for me. Nothing you can say is going to stop me. I don't even have to even tell you what the fuck I'm doing. Like, period. Stay in your lane. Yeah. I mean, it was just his moment to, you know, just really be him. Yeah. Well, and even he didn't even tell Justin he was going anywhere. Like, yeah. He didn't nowhere. say anything. This, Justin found out right here. Like, I'm going to be set and I'm leaving tonight. So even with that, I think he intentionally picked that place because he knew that that would make he fig- he thought that would make Justin upset. Like mm-hmm. you're going to go there without me, and I think that it'd be was, easier for him to say bye. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was kind of the you know what lit the fuse. Justin saying we were supposed to go together because Brian knows that mm-hmm. we were supposed to go together. Like now, I never wanted a life with someone else, but now I have that and I want that, and I'm kind of upset about mm-hmm. the fact that I want that, and I don't think it's fair that I'm not going to get to have it because of this this situation right. you know, this could take it from me and so i think he he said that intentionally to make justin upset but justin's response was not what brian anticipated right. it wasn't at first he was kind of like what we're going to go together why would you do that but then it was like well you said okay well i love you and i'm going to be here when you get back go do what you need to do and so even that kind of threw him because he he was expecting he was, it. Uh, yeah. yeah he wanted him to be mad to leave mm-hmm. to get upset and so that would make it easier, easier for the, to but, go yeah but justin didn't didn't do that nope, he gave him the very opposite yeah and he was understanding and like i'm gonna be here for you like just yeah take your time and now we we know that justin loves brian we know that brian loves justin was this the first time that we hear justin say i love you mm-hmm. in this way like i think it, I it think is it, might be. it, it yeah. is uh-huh. mm-hmm. i think it is yeah but all of this even him turning out the lights in the office like i re- i am fully convinced that he was like he was going nah, i'm going yeah. blaze of glory here i come like, he was going. My party till I drop. Yeah. Once he sat in that car and all the memories. I mean, this is just my my yeah, you know, yeah. moment before the operating table. So he sat in his car, getting ready to drive to the airport, and then all the memories of Justin flooded through him, like the, the moment when he saw Justin smoking that cigarette on Liberty Avenue, yeah. you know, in the, on season one, yeah, from that very first time. Yeah, and them him naming Gus and running through the hallways, you know, or him watching over Justin in the hospital and recovering helping Justin get his memory back, the buying the writing machine. I mean, all these great memories that he thought he would have never done with anyone, mm-hmm. he's actually done. I think those flooded his mind. And he was like, you know what? I have some, a reason to live. Right. And then Gus, that whole Gus thing too, thinking of Gus getting older, growing yeah. up, having children in the family and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah, yeah, I think it all contributed. Like, I think Michael contributed. I think Lindsay contributed and Gus did too. But I do think that Justin was the deciding oh, he was. factor. Mm-hmm. You know, because even after, like I said, after those scenes with Michael, with Lindsay and Gus, it was still being reinforced to us, like this whole blaze of glory kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This you don't have forever. I think what Brian didn't count on, he was like, uh, you know, it'll be easy. It'll be easier to let go if you don't hold on to anything. But I don't think he realized like how tightly he wanted to hang on to what was in what was in his life. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's sitting in that car on the way to the airport, probably got to the airport yeah. and was like, Okay, instead of that ticket, let me do another one. Exactly, to, yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. Do a little Yui right quick. Yeah, to wherever he ends up, uh, to wherever he ends up going. And and also, I think, like I guess, I'm sorry, I'm still all over the place because I guess my mind's still putting this all together. But, okay, Lindsay, she has 
Lindsay has guts. And she said, I think it, it was in an earlier season, she says, I know that I'm alive. I know my life has purpose because Gus needs me. And so Lindsay's got something mm-hmm. you know, to attach to, something to live for. Not only Gus, she's got Melanie and this new baby, possibly. And then um, Michael has been in Hunter. Like, yep. He's got his own little thing. And so Justin was kind of the only, like, that's his, kind of, that's his, I don't want to say missing piece because it's a whole, like, you can be independent. You don't need a person to <laughs> be whole. Like, you're not right. half a person. You're but all that person. was the perfect But that is piece. his companion, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the part, that's the other piece that fits perfectly with him. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's all of, like, it's, I do think all the rest of them were considered, but I, I don't think that his mind was fully changed mm-hmm. until... Until that interaction, yeah. they encounter with Justin. And, okay, maybe this will be my final reason, but <laughs> I looked at one of the earlier drafts of the script, and they moved this around. Oh, wow. And so, the, yeah, it, the conversation with Justin was in the office was earlier in the episode. No, it needed to be in the it end. It needed to be at the end, mm-hmm. and I think it was purposefully at the end to make that clear. Like, right. this was the deciding factor. Um, yeah. Because if, if they would have ended it with Michael kissing on his neck, then you would assume that, oh, the lifelong friendship is the reason why or whatever the case. Yeah, or, or, yeah. Or, 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 or he's anything. gonna be content to yeah. just be alone but just mm-hmm. be there in case Michael needs him. But it's like, no, he's not gonna be there for somebody. Like, he is choosing this is what I want in my life. Yes. Not like I'm gonna be here for when they're right. sad or when they need money or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm choosing what I want in my life and what anchors me to life and to love and right. all of that. Yeah, it wouldn't have hit hard, um, hit as hard as it did if they would have left it in the, in the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was perfect the way they moved it to the end. I am just not ready to be done with this scene. Like, I had already interpreted Brian's decision this way. But as I mentioned, I did reach out to the writers for confirmation. And that's what they said. Like, Brian said he was going to Ibiza because that's where he was going. He wasn't just randomly making up this lie. And last episode, he told Justin that Ibiza was a long way to go for a bathhouse and some sand. Like, it wasn't even on his radar and he was only willing to go because that was part of the bet. And that was Justin's idea. That was his thing. So as I continue to break down this scene, the more I see how incredibly beautiful and heartbreaking it is. Justin is looking at Brian with so much concern and love in his eyes. And Justin has no clue what's going on with Brian, but whatever it is, it's causing the man he loves to pull away from him sexually and physically. He's fleeing to a whole different country for reasons unknown And while I'm sure that's confusing and hurtful, Justin wants to be sure that Brian knows he loves him and he will be there when he gets back. We know that when Justin mentioned Abiz in the last episode, his mind was conjuring up images of sun and lots of hot men. So he probably assumes that's what Brian is going after. Now, keep in mind, Brian has been rejecting Justin for at least some days and with no explanation. Like he just blew up on Justin in his office and Justin happened to walk in and overhear this conversation he was having with Cynthia and that's how he found out that Brian is going to this place that he kind of agreed to take Justin to. And they have been so solid up until now. And so this is totally out of left field. And then on Brian's part, you can see that he wants to tell Justin. You can see when he pulls him in, like he wants to kiss him and he wants to really drive home the point that this is not, that Justin's not the problem. Well, not exactly. And after he yells that they are not married, I think he's feeling overwhelmed and he needs to get away from Justin for a minute because it's too much. Like Justin has always been too much. And, and you know, that's, that's part of the issue. Brian's never been able to fight that. When Justin says that we were supposed to go together, I think Brian wanted to say, like, don't you think I know that? But he's angry at the unfairness of it all. And he lashes out at the wrong target and he's feeling cornered again by everything. And he just goes feral, which we know he does. 
But that little break that he takes when he walks out of his office, that gives him time to calm down. And because it's not Justin, and this isn't how he wants to leave things with him. And, and Justin is standing there facing this inexplicable wrath, and he's patient and compassionate, and he's trying to correct anything that he may have done wrong. If he is like, if it's something I did, if it's something I said, like he, he wants to correct it, even though there's nothing that he did. We also get Justin telling Brian that he loves him at a time when Brian is at his lowest, when he's most vulnerable. Like he's been reiterating his love for Brian all throughout this episode with his fortune. He said like the man you love, like he's been willing to make adjustments to his appearance or to their sex life for Brian. I mean, some partners might make you a nice dinner after a hard day at the office, but Justin has arranged a whole foursome for him. But here, when he straight up says, I love you, of course, Brian can't say it back. The man is an emotional wreck right now, clearly. And don't even get me started on the anguish. Like when Brian flings the lamp across the office. But before I get to that, obviously, there is symbolism in him turning out the lights. But notice that he turns out two before he gets to the third. And because I have nothing better to do with my time, I can confirm that the lamp that's off to the side of his desk was moved for this scene to make this point. It wasn't in the same position in earlier episodes if you go back and watch it. And so we were supposed to see him deliberately turn out two lights. Now, remember, he had two conversations earlier in this episode from people who were counting on him being around. When he got to the third light after this third conversation in his office, he couldn't do it. And so we were supposed to see this point made in a different way. And I'll talk about that in the epilogue. But they made this point here with the lights in his office, kind of going back to what Michael had said, like, I'm going to have to be the one to turn out the lights. And so Brian was choosing to turn out the lights. And so there was the conversation with Lindsay and Gus, and he turned out the light there. There's a conversation with Michael. He turned out that light. But the third one, he couldn't do it. But still, we see the pain, the anger, the unfairness of the whole situation. And Brian was upset. I mean, he feels more than he ever wanted to feel. He's holding on to way more than he ever wanted to hold on to. And there's so much inner turmoil, like his mind and his heart are at odds. And Brian hates this for himself. But I think he also hates that he's hurting Justin. He hates that this is happening to their relationship also. And it's just such an unfair deal and he has no control over it. Brian has spent this episode listening to the future he could have. And up until this point, he was choosing to forgo it. But here's Justin. Here is his sunshine who gives him something to live for. And again, I think Lindsay and Gus and Michael were all considered and possibly contributed to the change of heart and mind in some way. But it's made abundantly clear that Justin is the one who tipped the scales. And I really just believe that without that third conversation, that third and brightest light in his life, he would have gone to Ibiza. And so I don't even know what would have happened to Brian had it not been for that third and brightest light. I mean, and so I bet Brian is thinking now, like when we see him and he, you know, after he flings the lamp across the office and he's standing there and he's kind of like wiping his face, you can just feel the tension and the frustration and all the emotions coming off of him. You can just feel it even through the screen. I feel like I bet he's thinking we don't see, maybe not here at the office, but I think in between here and what we ultimately see him there on the operating table, I bet he's thinking if there's a chance that what Justin said was true, that he loves me and he will be here when I get back. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe the biopsy and the prosthetic and any follow up treatment, maybe that's all worth it if there's a chance that what he said is true. And I've got so much more to say about this whole scene, but I see you looking at me, so I'm going to let it go. Okay, I feel all over the place, but that was that was 407. <laughs> yes, y'all. Grab your Kleenexes. Go ahead and dry up those <laughs> eyes, because it was a lot. We know it was yeah. deep. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely deep. 
Well, let us hear y'all thoughts on this episode. Why do y'all think Brian stayed? Was it because of Justin? You know, was he the deciding factor? Y'all know what we want to hear. Keep it interactive. Let us see y'all comments. And until next time, guys, we are out of here. Bye. Bye. <laughs>